Thanks for checking out this sermon from Christ the King in Carrollton, Georgia, where our goal is to glorify God by making, training, and sending disciples to engage our neighbors and the nations with the gospel of Jesus. If you want to learn more about us, you can find us online at ctkcarrollton.com, or better yet, join us on a Sunday in Carrollton. Amen. Man, David, like, let's just listen to David talk, like, for the rest of our, our time together today. So, um, so let's do this. A couple of weeks ago, um, I was... Uh, I was uh, I was actually in uh, a tattoo shop in Carrollton, <laughs> and um, I was having a conversation with the guy, and he asked me uh, before I left because he knew that I was a pastor. He said, "Hey, like I've got a friend." nervous and so would you uh, would you pray for her and I was like yeah man like why don't we pray now which was kind of shocking to him um, but like I mean he asked me to pray and so I said well why don't we do that uh, like right here right now and so um, David is is asking us uh, as a body of believers here in Carrollton um, to pray for Foundation Church uh, in Belfast and the work that the Lord is doing there and so um, I'll say yet again like what better time to do that than now so um, let's take just a minute and let's pray for this church man we um uh, uh, we connect with this church uh, in a number of different ways, given um, kind of our, our our love for Jesus and uh, what we believe about God's word and um, the way in which the gospel transforms the human heart. And obviously, we share the conviction of church planting. We are very close in age, um, and they are uh, obviously a few hours ahead of us, and so they've already met today. Um, but let's just pray that um, that the Lord would just answer the petitions of the hearts of this faithful body of believers meeting in Belfast before we open up to uh, Genesis chapter 47. So would you um, pray with me as we pray for David and for the work of the gospel in uh, in Belfast. Father, we uh, are, are just so excited for um, for the opportunity to partner together in gospel ministry. Um, we're grateful for your work to stir the hearts of your people to plant churches, um, to reach and engage their communities with the hope of the gospel of Christ. Um, we are just blown away by the ways in which you bring us together, even across, even across ponds, uh, that you bring us together and you stir our hearts to serve one another and love one another and pray for one another um, and to practice generosity toward one another. And so um, as David has articulated, as we have just seen, we pray for Foundation Church that you would um, send workers to engage in mission, that they would love Jesus and that they would love people and they would desire to see uh, Belfast transformed uh, by the gospel. We pray for staffing um, just in the conversations that I've been able to have with David. It's obvious that um, there is a lot of work to do and there is a need for um, for, for, for labor laborers, part-time, full-time laborers to come alongside and serve. And so we pray that you would uh, just make this path to be clear, that you would open doors, um, and that there would be um, just a, 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 a leadership team developed within this church to, to best serve you and the people of the community. We pray for, for funding um, for them and that you would um, show us ways that we might come alongside and serve this church um, in gospel ministry. And we, of course, pray for this next season. And we're familiar with this. We understand what this looks like as we have now stepped into um, full swing of school year here in America and in the state of Georgia. Um, we know that, that they are preparing for this um, next month in Belfast. And so um, just give clarity and wisdom and discernment and strength and rest as they prepare to enter into this next season. Again, um, you are a good God, and it's just incredible the way that you bring us uh, together and how deep our relationships can uh, grow just in 
light of who you are and, and the way that you knit our hearts together. And so we ask that you would knit our heart with uh, the heart of this church, that we would um, just continue to prayerfully seek ways that we might partner all to the glory of your name and for the good of our, of our cities, the good of our communities. We love you and we're grateful for your love for us. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. What a cool thing, man. What a cool thing, the way technology brings us uh, together. Uh, so we are in Genesis chapter 47. Um, here's a little bit of what we do as we come to God's word each week. We look back at where we have been, and then we look ahead to where we are going. So last week from Genesis 46, uh, we witnessed a few things that I'm going to just kind of rattle off here. So if you weren't here last week, hopefully this will serve to um, catch you up a little bit. Um, if you were here, then this reminds you of where we were as we prepare to to step into this next chapter. Um, We witnessed from Genesis 46, Jacob's worship and submission to God. We witnessed the journey of of the patriarchal family into Egypt, a reunion, a start of transition between characters and then kind of this next progression in terms of God's work to redeem and rescue and a plan devised to ensure a place in Egypt for Jacob and his sons. If I were to, to kind of come around to a main idea of these points that we, uh, we unpacked last week, it is, it is essentially this. We spent a lot of time last week talking about how, um, how preservation um, is found in Christ and in Christ alone, how our, our, our souls are satisfied in Christ and how we are preserved in Christ, how he, he stirs and transforms our hearts to, to, uh, to love him and to pursue him and his will and his desire for our lives. Do we do this perfectly? No, right? We fail in this area often. And so we, we celebrate how the way in which Christ fulfills this, the way that he perfectly seeks after the will of the Father, how he submits himself to his will, leaving his right hand and condescending, joining broken humanity, broken creation here on planet earth, in order to live the life that we should have lived, perfect submission and love of the law of God, and die the death that we deserve as those who have, who have spurred his perfect law and his perfect love so that we might be brought into fellowship and relationship with him as we turn from our sin and look to Jesus, right? And, and cry out for forgiveness for our sins, desiring his eternal reward. This is where we were last week, preservation being found in Christ and in Christ alone. Now we transition into Genesis 47, where we're going to talk a lot this morning about generosity because we see God through Genesis 47 talking a lot about generosity. Let me kind of level the landscape, right? Where are we going to go and what are we going to see? Man, we see Jacob and his sons are finally given possession and provision from Egypt. We observe this in the first 12 verses of Genesis 47. As Joseph beautifully employs this plan to persuade Pharaoh to extend the fertile lands of Goshen on the fringes of Egyptian society to his family. In fact, we're not only going to talk about generosity, we're going to talk about shocking generosity. And this is really tier one, okay? Imagine that we're, we're making a cake together, okay? Um, and it's got multiple layers. We've got multiple tiers. This is really tier one of the shocking generosity observable here in Genesis 47, 
But like any good cake, it doesn't just stop with, with one tier, right? Step your baking game up, right? We've got two tiers that we're going to be working through. Not only do we see, do we see this, right, this first point that we've already kind of articulated, but we see God's work through Joseph to save and bless this powerful nation and her people in verses 13 through 26. We're talking about Egypt here, right? the way in which God, through, through Joseph, blesses this mighty nation, how he blesses the Egyptians, shocking generosity tier two. Tier one, right? The way in which, which God's people are, are, are blessed, right? By, by Pharaoh, the way that God stirs the heart of Pharaoh to bless his people, tier two. The way in which God's people, Joseph in particular, serves and, and saves and blesses this powerful nation and her people. Those are the first two observations, and that's kind of the end of our cake analogy. So we're switching gears a little bit. There's no third tier. We're not that great at baking, okay? So we're moving on to the next. Lastly, verses 27 through 31, we're going to see Jacob's final request and his death. Jacob's final request and his death. All right, what is the, the final request of this dying man? It's a really beautiful picture that I think informs even to some degree the way that we see and observe and, and value our time together this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you're going, okay, like I'm here. Like you got me here. I'm this far, right? But how do I feel about being here? How ought I feel? How does God desire for me to, be fe- to feel, me to be feeling as I'm gathered together with his people? I think there's a, a beautiful picture that we see at the end of Genesis 47 that shapes this for us. So, for the sake of context, let's step back, okay, to the very beginning. Right in the beginning, Genesis 1, we see a desire from God for his creation to what? Well, to, to worship him, to enjoy him, and, and to obey him. In fact, we, we prayed this direction. Our prayer was in this stream as we began our time together this morning, right? God, give us hearts that desire to, to worship you and enjoy you and obey you. Why? Well, because this is God's desire in creation, right? That we would live this way, that we would, that we would practice these things. We see it in Genesis chapter 1. And in addition, we see God providing really clear instruction as to how humanity is to do this. And so I tell you, hey, our desires ought to be having been shaped by God's word to worship him, to enjoy him, and to obey him. The next question then is this. How in the world do you do that, okay? How do, how do you do that? How do we go about living these types of lives? Well, well, Genesis chapter 1 provides some really fantastic insight as to what this looks like. Genesis 1 and 2, right? We, we see this, this call, right, to, to rest in the satisfaction that God provides to his people. We see this, this call to enjoy creation and all of its beauty and all of its splendor. It's so interesting how, go all the way back to Genesis 1, right, Genesis 1 and 2, how in creation God prepares, um, again, this place for humans to, to live and thrive and flourish for their relationships with him, to, like, look really great and for his, the relationships that they enjoy with one another, to look really great. And he provides food for them to eat. And then he provides just beautiful things for them to look at. And all of it is intended to foster within humanity, this desire to worship, enjoy, and obey him. Within this, we see this call towards reproduction, an element observable here in Genesis chapter 47. God says to 
to, to man and to woman to be fruitful and to multiply? Well, for what purposes? Right, to what end? Well, again, God's desire in creation is to display his glory, his kindness, and his generosity throughout creation. We are created in his image. Right? We are created to reflect his character. We are to reflect his glory. And in the beginning, God says, here's my desire. My desire is to permeate creation with evidence of my goodness. Right To permeate creation with evidence of my, my kindness and generosity. And so you guys, being a part of this, Adam, Eve, right? Be fruitful and multiply. You are my image bearers. You display me in the world. And so in order for me to accomplish my purposes of filling the earth right, with, with my glory, I'm going to employ you to be a part of the process. Create more mirrors. Create more image bearers. This is the call that we observe from God there in the very beginning. Create offspring. Right? To what? Well, to to display my glory. God calls his creation to trust him and to function within his design and desire for their existence. A design and desire that is rejected through the rebellion of our first parents. What is the sin of Genesis chapter 3? You're familiar with it, right? We've, we've looked back at it a number of times, but ultimately it is this. It is a rejection of God's plan, deeming our own plans and our own desires to be better. Right, to, be, to be best, we see Adam, we see Eve rejecting God's design and desire for their existence and creation. And here's the reality. Okay, we have all followed suit. Right, the, the sin of Adam and the, and the sin of his bride finds a home in the human heart. It finds a home in the human condition. Humanity has consistently poorly managed that which God has entrusted to them from their relationship with him. We observe this here, right, in the story, like the the biblical narrative. But it's not limited to the biblical narrative, is it, right? We read these stories and we go, wow, how far has humanity fallen, There's this failure to truly enjoy and value relationship with God. But what we find as we read through the narrative and we observe these consistent patterns is that there's not a fence around this, but that it flows out into our lives and into the world today as well. Poorly managing humanity, poorly managing their relationship with God. But it's not only the relationship with God that has been so poorly managed. It's relationship with one another that has been so poorly managed. Now, why do we emphasize this? Well, because from Genesis 47, we see this beautiful picture, right, of, 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 of human um, existence and service that really calls us back to what we observe in the beginning. Relationship with God, poorly managed. We're all guilty. All right, relationship with one another, poorly managed. The freedom that we are called to enjoy, poorly managed. Sin has consequently, through the story of Genesis and through the story of human history, created a major mess of things. Do you want to know why the world is such a mess? Do you want to know why your life is such a mess? Like if you're here and you're like, holy cow, like I just feel like life 
right? Has me like by the, the throat, right? Why? The answer is really simple. Sin, right? Sin is the reason that we find ourselves in the position, in the predicament, in the problem that we find ourselves in. The story of Genesis, here's the beautiful thing about the story of Genesis. The story of Genesis is the beginning of the sharing of the story of God. Devised, okay, created before the foundation of the world to save a people from this mess and its ultimate effects. This is the beautiful thing about the book of Genesis because we, we see it and we relate with it. We connect with it. Of course, like the, the, some of the language is a bit different, right? The places are, uh, are different, but the same issues that we see humanity struggling with through this book, we continue to struggle with. The same sins that we see humanity struggling in, in this book, are you guys with me? We struggle in. Here and now, the beautiful thing about the book of Genesis is that we see here Moses's sharing of God's plan before the foundation of the world to save a people from this mess. To save a people from, from sin. Now, if sin is an issue that all of us are so familiar with, if sin is an issue that we are familiar with that separates us from God and his design and his desire for our life, then corporately we come together and we go, man, we need saving from this. Okay, we need to be rescued from this. Genesis is beautiful. (laughs) If I didn't think that we might lose our minds, it's like we get to the end of Genesis. Let's just go back and do it again, right? Let's just go back and start it all over again, right? I feel like we could because it's it's just this beautiful story that we relate with so well. Here's what I want us to do as we come into Genesis chapter 47. I want us to begin as we, as we survey generosity on two tiers, followed by the, the transformation of the heart of Jacob on display in full towards the latter end. I want us to begin with this. I want us to begin with this point. God's care for his people. God's care for his people. And then there's going to be this short little side note that we're going to talk about, observable here in the first 12 verses that informs the way that God's people relate with authority. We're not going to talk a ton about it, but it is there. Our primary focus is going to be on the generosity of the Lord, observable through all of the various parties present in this story. So are we together? Are we good? Is everyone okay? Awesome. Here we go. I hope that you're opened up to Genesis chapter 47. Look with me at verse one. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. Why? Well, because there is this tremendous famine that is ravaging the land as we will observe at a later point in this passage. They are now in the land of Goshen, verse 1, verse 2. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. And so here's what's going on in verses 1 and 2. Joseph is selecting his most well-spoken, self-controlled brothers to present before his boss. (laughs) Okay? Like, who is going to behave Right? Who is going to act like they've got some sense because I'm about to present these brothers, my brothers, before 
arguably one of the most powerful men on the face of the earth. At which point, Pharaoh begins this Q&A. And what is his first question? His first question is this. What in the world do you guys do? To which they respond. Look with me at uh, at verse 3. And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. Verse 4. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And so we're, we're getting this glimpse here in Genesis 47 of sin's effects on all of creation. Right? Not only is humanity feeling its effects, but the world is feeling its effects. There is this famine. This is, this is a far step from where we found ourselves in the beginning, right? Genesis 1 and 2, this lush, beautiful garden. There is an abundance of food and provision and beauty. And now we're seeing this picture painted of a land that has just been cut bare. Right? There's, no, there's no food Right? It doesn't appear as though, I mean, we're reading this into the text, right, a, a bit, but, but the beauty that existed, right, and the goodwill that existed, everybody's feeling good with full stomachs, right, is beginning to teeter a little bit. But at this point in the story, man, Joseph is breathing easy. Why? Because things are going totally according to plan, right? My brothers have come in and they're acting very much like we ought when you are pulled over by the police, right? They're like short, precise, right, responses to this authority figure before them, right? Um, We're not really admitting too much. We're just kind of engaging in this conversation to begin, right? Joseph feels really good. Then Then things shift slightly. And now the brothers say, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Things shift from communicating information to asking questions, which is not what Joseph expected. Bold move, making such a request to Pharaoh. Verse 5, Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have, have come to you. We saw earlier on how, how impacted Pharaoh was by this story of reconciliation. Do you remember this? When, when Joseph reveals his identity for the first time to his brothers, as they fear that their lives are just moments away from being snuffed out. He weeps after he sends everyone out. And the brothers are like celebrating and crying together. It's this really beautiful scene and news reaches Pharaoh. And we see this this picture of Pharaoh himself being affected by this story of redemption. We're echoing back to that here in verse 5. Verse 6, the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Two helpful points that help us to read this section of Genesis within the proper frame. First, for God's people, this whole scene would serve to to provide for them an explanation as to how things progressed to this point, right? If you read the story of the Exodus, how does it begin? Well, it begins with the sons of Israel that came into Egypt. This is where we are in the story. This is where we find ourselves. Only in Exodus, the retelling is followed by this transition into a long season of incredible hardship for this family following the death of Joseph and the rise of a new king 
who perceived this nation to be a great threat due to their size. The promise of God to to bring about and to rise up a nation. It has taken place, but it leads to incredible hardship for the people of God as we transition into the Exodus story. What followed was 400 years of harsh labor, more growth, deliverance, frustration with wilderness wandering, and the passing of a generation before finally the nation of Israel is prepared to return to Canaan, the land that they just left in Genesis 46. Why do we say all of this? Because this helps the people of God to answer the question, how did we get here? So there's that, there's that glimpse, right? There's, there's a historical piece of what we see being recorded here. Is God's people, having wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, preparing to enter into the land of Canaan, are engaged with the information recorded by Moses here in Genesis 47. They go, wow, this is how we got here. That's going to prove to be really important. It's not just a historical marker, But it sets the people of God on a trajectory to understand the way that God works, the way that he provides for his people, the way that he meets their needs in face of incredible opposition and incredible hardship. This is a people who are familiar, right? They have grown up hearing stories about their time enslaved in Egypt. And yet again and again and again, especially as we come into Genesis 47, there's this emphasis on God's care, God's meeting the need of his people. How did we get here? This is how, this is the first question that this serves to answer. Not only that, but we see God's displaying of great care and generosity for his people in Genesis 47, through a really unlikely source, that being Pharaoh. Right, what we can't do is read this passage inside of our Western context. So we've got we've to disassociate ourselves for just a moment from everything that we, that we know. Right, We've got to step out of that. Uh, danger being, if we read our Western context onto this passage, we miss out on the amazement that God intends to bring his people into by way of what we see taking place. Right, There's this noteworthy societal difference observable between the Egyptians and the people of God provided with the law of God, there is this unique difference observable between the Egyptians and the church. Okay? So let's address this on two levels, on two levels first. Let's consider our context. Okay, we live in a country at a day and time with certain systems in place intended to serve the needy, the poor, the hungry, and the disenfranchised. Now we can have a conversation and I think it would probably be worthy to do so. We're not going to do it this morning, okay, about how well these systems work and how well the church leans into its role. But what we can say is that we're aware of their presence, right? We're aware of certain systems and structures in place in our society, in our culture that are intended to meet the needs of the most needy, right? Are we familiar with this? Absolutely we are. Let's consider the the biblical context. As the people of God are provided the law of God, we see explicit instruction from God to Israel at a later date 
that instructs them to meet the needs of those who are most vulnerable. We see the law of God instructing the people of God to meet the needs of those who are most broken because as the most vulnerable and broken, our needs have been met. But Egypt is not functioning in our 2019 Western context. Egypt is not Israel. Okay, and and Egypt is not the church. Egypt is a pagan nation with no relationship with the God who creates in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and commits to save in Genesis chapter 3. Egypt would not have been understood to be humane in the same way that we see God encouraging his people towards a certain amount of, of humanity, especially towards any shepherding family from Canaan. We've already seen that there's beef for whatever reason between the Egyptians and shepherds. In spite of this, we see amazing compassion from Pharaoh towards Joseph's brothers. We see a pagan king whose heart is stirred towards service and generosity. Now, we might be left asking the following question. Okay, what is it that so transforms the heart of of Pharaoh, right? Is he just, he's so touched by this story of redemption, this story of reconciliation that he says, you know what, man, the, the prized land for your people. Maybe, right? I don't think so. Okay, I think what we are intended to observe here is the work of God to work within the hearts of men to stir towards generosity and care, right? There's no reason apart from a work of the Lord that Pharaoh would respond this way. And yet we get a glimpse here through this this earthly king of what the human experience was meant to look like. There's a a challenge for the follower of Jesus in this scene, right? If this is the generosity observable in Pharaoh with no real understanding of purpose, which Pharaoh does not possess, let's just be clear, no real motivation, then how much more should God's people display willingness to bless and care for one another? Inside this reality that it will prove costly. It will be costly. Listen to this. This is incredible. This is the way God works, right? And it draws us into this deep understanding and realization of just how kind he is and the way he's committed to the transformation of our hearts and minds. So I was um, on Saturday, Friday night, we had a, a bunch of girls, ladies, ladies in the house, hanging out at our house on Friday evening. And so I took Judah out for a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a little bit of Dad, sometime, right? We went out to kind of go eat pizza and um, and drink coffee and watch movies at Gallery Row, and it was super awesome. And while we were there, I was uh, I was reading through a little bit my notes for this morning, and I know that we're talking about like generosity from the Lord and how He stirs hearts. All the things that we've set up into this point. 
I'm reading this, and as I'm reading, some some friends of mine, some college students, walk in, and um, and they kind of like say hey, and they're we're catching up. I haven't seen them in a while because like it's been summertime, right? People are all over the place, and so it's kind of like like just friends, right? Like greeting one another and seeing one another after a time away, really sweet time sitting here and I'm studying and I'm thinking and I'm considering about generosity and God's generosity and how he stirs our hearts to practice generosity because he is generous. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking like, for some of you, you know this, right? That I spend quite a bit of time at the coffee shop. Anybody aware of this, right? It's kind of a, it's kind of a joke, right? Um, that you guys tend to direct towards me, which isn't very kind, right? Just to hurt my feelings a little bit. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, and so I'm sitting there and I go, wow, I've got like a ton of free drinks at Gallery Row. How am I going to sit here and like be studying about the generosity of God and not go, hey guys, you're my friends and I've missed you. And so like, just go to the counter and like, tell them like, give, give us what we are asking for and put it on his account, right? How am I not going to live that way if I'm in this rhythm of considering the generosity of the Lord. Like I have to, like, if not, there's going to be this, this real problem. We consider here the generosity of Pharaoh as God stirs his heart to extend this land to his people who he has brought here, who have left everything behind to come. And I go, how are we not going to display such generosity? Like, how are we not going to, in order to most accurately, as best as we can, reflect the character of God, practice this type of life here and now? In Acts chapter 3, we are provided a beautiful example of God's people practicing generosity as he shapes their hearts to meet the needs of one another. In fact, Jesus himself talks a ton about this. And I think that there's, a, there's a, a real connection to some of what we see Jesus saying in the gospels to what we observe here in his people relying on this king to extend land and a place to pasture flock and food. Jesus talks about it like this. He talks about, he talks about anxiety, right? And he says this, he says, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, right? That, that God meets the needs, right? Of, of, uh, of, of the birds, of the air, right? He provides for them. He is generous toward them. They don't plant and plow, right? They just enjoy the grace of God and his kindness, Right, the, the flowers, what do they do? Man, they're beautiful, but they don't what? They don't like sit down in little flower workshops and like sew like their, their beauty, right? They just don't do that. God does that. This is what Jesus is saying. And he's encouraging his people towards this type of confidence in God to meet the needs of his people. Man, Paul further articulates this practice, as well as the source of power for this type of life in Colossians chapter three, when he writes this, listen to this, this is incredible. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. 
the provision of God, the kindness of God, the generosity of God through this most unlikely avenue here in the first 12 verses. Let's say it this way in response to this scene, right? The, the generosity of God informs the way that we, that we live generously, which we're going to talk more about in just a moment, but it also informs the way that we receive from the generous, Right, regardless of, of who that might be, understanding that it ultimately comes from the Lord. In addition, right, if the unrighteous can be used by God to bless those in need, how much more should those who are made righteous? Man, beautiful picture of God's generosity manifest and extended through the heart of Pharaoh here in these first few verses. Let's continue on. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. There's this this informing of the relationship between God's people and the authority figure in place here in verse 7. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? Essentially, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of uh, of my sojourning are 130 years. And then listen to what he says here. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attended to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. Man, what a refreshing and honest, transparent response to Pharaoh's question. He says this, I'm 130 years old which in Egyptian society would mean that, that Jacob had surpassed the, the idealized age. Man, but he says this, actually, my years have been few. After all, Abraham lived to be 175. Isaac lived to be 180. Life has been hard from his time in Mesopotamia, his frustration under Laban, his daughter's rape, his son's retribution manifest in the murder of an entire city. That was wild. The apparent death of his favorite son, Joseph, and the imprisonment of another, Simeon, in Egypt. With these events in mind, it would totally make sense that he would describe his life as difficult. Verse 10, and Jacob blessed and said farewell to Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of, the, of, the, of Ramses, what it would have been called likely before Goshen. And as Pharaoh had commanded, and Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's house with food according to the number of their dependents. He meets the needs of his family. Man, there's good news for needy people found in Genesis 47. Right, if you're here this morning, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, right? But, but if you are aware of your need, maybe like manifest on multiple levels, There is good news found in Genesis 47, and that is this, that God has and is developing a pattern of provision. I think we have this obviously flawed idea, right, that our needs cannot and will not be met. We reach this point of of despair, and hopelessness. 
Only what we're called into through Genesis 47 and what God is going to continue to develop for his people. Imagine, imagine the people of God gathered before the reading of Genesis reflecting back on his care and provision for them in the wilderness, providing exactly what they needed when they needed it, hearing that this is the God who who has existed before the foundation of of time. Our, Our needs cannot and will not surpass the ability of God to care for us. Did you know that? Our needs cannot and will not surpass the ability of God to care for us. We are his people. And in the same way that we love, care for, and sacrifice to care for those we love, our friends and our family, God to a greater degree loves, cares for, and sacrifices for us. How do we know that? Where do we go to see that? We go to the cross, right? We go to the cross. We see at the cross, God meeting our greatest need. Our greatest need, forgiveness from sin and new hearts is met through the sacrifice of Jesus and the hope of his resurrection. Not only does God care for his people, reality that all who love and serve Jesus in this room would affirm, but Genesis 47 provides evidence of God's care for the nations. God cares for us. He meets our needs. And then through his people, observable here in our passage this morning, God cares for the nations. This is one of the ways in which the nations experience the blessing of the Lord discussed in Genesis chapter 12. What does it say in Genesis chapter 12? It says this. This is God's instruction to to Abram. This is the the beginning, right? It's the beginning of the covenant promise extended to this particular family. He says this. He says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. We're beginning to get a glimpse at how all of this is to happen. Genesis 46, last week, it's going to happen in Egypt. Genesis 47, we see a land provided. We look towards the Exodus and we see that there is indeed a nation of people. And I will bless you and make your name great, God says so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Does this sound familiar to what we're seeing here in Genesis 47? And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, God says, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In verses 13 through 26, we see the effects of this famine on the land and consequently the bringing out of the people into this great awareness of their need for God, even if they wouldn't articulate it that way. What are you saying? They're on, they're being brought to this realization that they need God, whether they would articulate it that way or not, because they're being brought to the end of themselves. Everything that they have is being stripped away. Everything that they have is being, is being taken from them, right? They're, they're giving it all over in order to survive. They're being brought to this realization of their need for God, even if they wouldn't articulate it that way. Look with me at verse 13. Now there was no food in the land for the famine was very severe so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. But God meets the needs of the nation. God meets the needs of the nation. He meets the need of her people as a result of their blessing his people. 
Verse 14, Joseph gathers all the money in Egypt to the house of Pharaoh as he, has, as, he was, as he sold the grain that had been stored up. With all their money gone, the people come to Joseph where he exchanges them grain for their livestock. Verse 17, horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for their livestock. So they now have no food and they have no livestock with the grain for uh, their flocks having been exhausted, the people come and barter their land for food before eventually, ultimately becoming servants to the state, having nothing to offer but their labor. Look with me at verse 20. Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For all the Egyptians sold their field because the famine was, was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one and uh, of, of Egypt to the other. From one end of Egypt to the other. Verse 22. Only the land of the priests he did not buy. For the priests had, had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Are we good? Let's continue on. Here we go. Verse 23. Then Joseph said to his people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you. And you shall sow the land, and at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field, and as food for yourselves and your households, and as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord. We will be servants to Pharaoh. Verse 26, so Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. The people essentially become farmers and servants of the king. Whereas before we see God's generosity extended and observable from Pharaoh to this family, now we see God's care for and generosity displayed from Joseph to the nation of Egypt. Everything is, is, is handed over, right? They, they sacrifice everything. They give everything. And it's at this point that they realize, man, may it, may it please you that we serve Right at the pleasure of a Pharaoh, at your pleasure, their needs are met. They are provided for. Again, it's this beautiful picture. We consider practically how we hear this text and begin to apply it to our lives. Man, we, we don't labor to store up, but we live lives because God is generous of generosity. We, we, we hold everything, right, with open hand knowing that it's God who meets our needs, that it's God who provides for us, right? We're set free, really, from this idea that acquisition, right, and, and holding on to so dominates our lives and we enjoy him. Get a picture in the Exodus of the same thing. What's God's instruction to his people? I'm going to meet your needs every day, he says, doesn't he? I'm going to meet your needs every day. It's going to like rain food. That's incredible. It's going to rain food, and here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to store it up. Why? Well, because you're living in this dependence on me. You're living in this reliance on me. In fact, if you begin to question, like, my generosity, if you begin to question my provision and you do hold over, here's what's going to happen. You're going to wake up the next morning, and it's going to have been eaten. It's going to be rotten. It's going to be unusable. Why? Well, because I'm a generous God. And I meet the needs of my people. Here, the people having had their needs met, we now see the way that God 
loves for and extends generosity to the nations through Joseph, through his people. Listen to what Timothy Keller had to say. This is beautiful, man. Two quotes that I'm going to give you. I want you to consider these things. Number one, challenging. What will make the people in your neighborhood be glad you are there? Let's say this. Let's begin here. If you live on a hall, you live in a dorm, right? You live in an apartment. You live in a neighborhood, right? You live on a street. You have neighbors. We have neighbors. Are your neighbors glad you're there? <laughs> like, like that may be a great place to begin. As God's people, we want our neighbors to be glad that we're around, right? Like we want to seek the good of our communities. We want to seek the good of our halls. We want to serve and love and practice all the things that we see God practicing and extending here in Genesis 47. He says this, what will make the people in your neighborhood glad you are there? And connect with individuals and leaders in the community and begin to meet the perceived needs of the community. Joseph's eyes are open to the need. Now, in fairness, like people are knocking his door down to try to get food, okay? But there's this, there's this awareness of need, right? And there is this, there's this generosity observable through the life of Joseph to meet said need. Continue on part two of this quote. Keller would go on to say this. The gospel alone can give us the humility, the confidence, and the courage to do effective ministry that honors God and blesses others. All right, the gospel alone can give us the humility Right To learn from our city, the confidence that we have much to give the city, the courage that we have nothing to fear from the city to do effective ministry that honors God and blesses others. How do you see your community? How do you see your neighbors? How do you see the nations? Are they a threat? Or are they a, a people who God has positioned us having received as needy, broken, reliant people from his generosity to now extend that out to other people. There's so many different ways that this manifests itself. I want you to think about what that looks like. I want you to think about what that looks like for you. Practically. What does it live to what does it look like to live in light of the gospel, which is what we're able to say is taking place here in Genesis 47 on this side of redemptive history. We're aware. We are have been made aware of God meeting our greatest need. And so now how do we go about living in this, receiving with open hands, humbly the blessings of the Lord extended by others, as well as serving the needs of the nations, our community. We've got to continue on. We're going to close this out with verses 27 through 31, at which point we see God's transformation of the heart. Maybe we're seeing some truths here and we're realizing that our hearts are in need of being transformed. Right, our hearts are in need of being, of being reshaped. Maybe we have a framework as to what it looks like to live this type of life. And what we've seen through Genesis 47 is a deconstructing of that framework. And we say, okay, what does it look like to now live in light of God's design and desire for his people in the world? Sermon on the Mount would be a great place to go and like couple this. We don't have time, but it would be a great place to go and, and to couple this. Maybe we say our hearts need to be remade. Good news, God does that. Jacob's heart has been remade. Right? He, has been, he has been taken by grace 
from a self-centered, self-absorbed, self-interested, self-sustaining, spoiled brat who, as a consequence for these qualities, was forced to run from his family to one who, who in his dying breath expresses this desire to be gathered to them. Things got super hard in Egypt. All right, verse 14, both Egypt and Canaan languished because of the famine. Verse 15, the Egyptians are coming to Joseph. They're asking him for food, afraid of what they're going to do, afraid that they're going to die in exchange for their livestock. Joseph provides them with food. All of that lasted about a year and then need arose again. Verse 18, so having given all their money, we just touched base on these things. Joseph is winding towards the end of his life. He has been pursued by the Lord. He has been transformed by the Lord and in the these final verses, we see this request. Look with me at verse 27. Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possession of it. And remember what we said in the very beginning, we're drawing to conclusion. But again, I think there's a sense in which What we observe in Genesis 47 is intended to remind us of some really beautiful things that we see desired from God in the beginning. They are fruitful and they multiply. Man, the people of God are in a fertile land, fulfilling the sweet call of the Lord from Genesis 1 and 2. What is Jacob's dying desire? We've got to close out our time. What does he say as he begins to as he begins to, to close his eyes? He asks his son to enter into covenant with him. And he says this. He says, don't leave me here. Don't leave me here, but gather me to my people. Right? Bury me with my people. If there's, if there's any question in you at this point as to whether or not God is able to transform your heart, Genesis 47 brings to mind this, this culminating work of the Lord in the life of Jacob that ought to, that ought to suppress that, that ought to, that ought to transcend that, that ought to demolish that. Jacob desires to be gathered to his people. There's an informing of the way that we come into this place, right? We, we desire to be gathered to the people of God. What you're doing here this morning, whether you realize it or not, is a desire that ought to be shaped by the Lord. Gathered unto his people as we gather around the gospel, as we celebrate who he is and what he has done, understanding that this is just the beginning, If this gathering together with God's people across socioeconomic lines and ethnic lines and generational lines is like not cool for you, man, heaven is going to be like a major drag. Why? Well, because this is the heart that God is creating in his people. Right, a, desire that, a desire to be gathered to him, to enjoy him, and to be gathered to one another. Here we see Jacob expressing it in terms of being gathered together with his family. But we know that we are a new family, knit together through the sacrifice of Jesus. New covenant people. In fact, we're about to come to the table. I'm going to close out now because we're over time. Thank you guys for being patient, and I apologize. 
We come to the table as a new covenant people and we say this, man, like this is what God is accomplishing by way of his death and resurrection. We are saved from our sin through the broken body and spilt blood of Jesus. We are reconciled to him and we are brought together as one another with one another. And so as we come to the table today, we, we again are being reminded of this generous act from the Lord to meet our needs. To call us into a new family. So we can love one another and, and serve one another and practice generosity to one another, gospeling one another, displaying God to one another. All of it leads us into worship. What we're going to do in just a moment is an act of worship, and it is designed to inspire worship. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to come. We're reminded of our, of our need as we come to the table. We celebrate how that need is met in Christ, and then we sing together. And so I know I've gone over, but let's close out our time as God's people gather together well, by singing to him, by enjoying him, by celebrating his generosity to us, it's a beautiful thing. We get a glimpse in Genesis chapter 47 of what the intent is and what God is taking us to as everything is ultimately working to that end. Let's pray together as we prepare to come to the table. God, thank you.